Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We are currently in our series, Blast from the Past, a study through 1 Samuel. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just wanna make you aware of a couple of things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Well, as we begin this morning, I want to play a little bit of a song and see if you recognize this song. You ready? Here it is. Oh, you're singing with it, right? Yeah. How many of you know that song, right? Yeah, just about everybody knows. What's that song from? Yeah, I knew all the kids would get it, right? It's from the movie Toy Story. If you are a parent or a grandparent, you know the movie Toy Story, right? That movie came out, get this, this is going to shock you. If I ask you this, you probably wouldn't get it. It came out in 1995. Time flies, right? In 1995, the movie Toy Story hit the streets and it became an instant success. They're saying it is arguably the greatest animated film of all time. And it was a story that that was telling the story. It was portraying the powerful story of friendship. It's really what the movie Toy Story was all about. Now, ironically enough, two years later, In 1997, the world was introduced to a virtual platform that would forever change the way we think about friends. That's called social media. In 1997, social media hit the streets. And it's kind of ironic because two years after this incredible blockbuster about friendship, we get this, what is supposed to be modern technology that is going to take friendship to a whole new level. Social media is defined as websites and applications that enable people to create and share content or to connect or communicate with each other. It's what it was designed to do. And when it started in 1997, there was just one little social media platform. Now there are literally hundreds of social media platforms on our computers, on our iPhones, on our tablets, and everything. As a matter of fact, Business Insider said this, Americans spend more time on social media than any other major internet activity, including email. We're on social media in our culture more than we're even on email. Now, if you're here today and you're saying, I don't even know what social media is, (laughs) God bless you. (laughs) But here's what's tragic. The effect of social media has not been greater friendships. As a matter of fact, I want you to listen to this. This is a quote from an article. This is not a Christian article, okay? This is not some Christian's worldview. This is in a publication called The Atlantic. The, The author is Stephen Marsh. Look at what he said. 
We are living in an isolation that would have been unimaginable to our ancestors. And yet we have never been more accessible. We live in an accelerating contradiction. The more connected we become, the lonelier we are. I'm not going to bore you with all the statistics. I read through a bunch of them this week. But the conclusion is very clear. Social media has not taken our friendships to another level. It's really done the exact opposite. It's undermined and eroded what real, genuine friendship looks like. So we have to ask the question. In our social media-obsessed generation and culture, is real friendship even possible anymore? If you're visiting with us at Hope, we are studying through the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. We're calling this series A Blast from the Past. And what we're trying to do is look at these Old Testament scriptures and learn some lessons that are applicable in our lives today. And as we go to 1 Samuel this morning, you can take your Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18. We're going to again be looking at two or three chapters here in 1 Samuel, but as we, as we look at 1 Samuel today, we find a biblical example of genuine friendship between two men named David and Jonathan. 1 Samuel chapter 18, I want to begin reading in verse number 1. Listen to what it says. Now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul... This is David and Saul having a conversation. That the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as himself. Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. Talking about David. He brought them into their family. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, including his sword and his bow and his belt. In these opening verses, and we're going to read several more uh, in, in the couple of chapters to follow that really unpack this depth of friendship that David and Jonathan enjoyed. But he opens here in this section and he says that their souls were knit together. It's the idea of being bound or tying something together. And it's used in Hebrew to describe when, when we get attached to someone socially, implying a very close friendship. As we read the story of David and Jonathan, there was a depth of friendship that they enjoyed that had a great effect on David's life. As a matter of fact, it was this friendship with Jonathan that enabled David to walk through what was one of the most difficult circumstances in his life, which was his relationship with Saul, the king that David had been anointed to replace, who also happened to be Jonathan's dad. This friendship that David and Jonathan enjoyed is what God used to sustain David in the midst of this difficult circumstance. So, so here's the life lesson that I want to give us today, and we're going to unpack it this morning. 
genuine, biblical friendship greatly blesses and impacts my life. If you have sensed that in your own life, just say amen. amen. Genuine, biblical friendship greatly blesses and impacts my life. Let me ask you a question. As you hear that lesson, who comes to mind for you? Don't, don't say their name out loud, all right? Because the person next to you might not be them, and I don't want them to get their feelings hurt, all right? But when you think about genuine biblical friendship and it having a tremendous impact in your life, who comes to mind for you? When I think about that, there are a couple of men that, that come to mind in my life. Men that through the years God have brought into my life and they have just impacted my life. They have sustained my life. They have breathed life into me on so many different occasions. Who are those genuine biblical friends? David and Jonathan are a great example of this. And before we unpack some principles and some marks of what real biblical friendship looks like, I want to give you two practical suggestions as a foundation to what we're going to talk about today. Here's the first one. Wisdom leads us to choose friends carefully. Look at what the Bible says in Proverbs on the screen. It says, he who walks with wise men will be what? Say it out loud. Wise, but the companion of fools will what? Suffer harm. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. The word suffer harm is a Hebrew word that implies breaking, shattering. And what he's saying here is that choosing the wrong friends can lead to real brokenness in my life. Where God gave us this biblical principle of friendship to uplift and to strengthen and to encourage. When I choose the wrong friends and I allow the wrong people to have significant influence in my life, the Bible says that that's going to always lead to brokenness. It's going to always lead to pain. It's going to always lead to bad decisions. As a matter of fact, here's a reality that, that I've come to grips with in my own life. The relational choices I make set the environment from which decisions will be made. Let me say that to you again. The relational choices that I make set the environment from which decisions will be made. All of us are going to make decisions in our lives, but the way we make those decisions is often shaped by the people that we allow around us to speak into our lives. So wisdom demands that you and I make wise decisions in choosing our friends. Here's the second foundation. My closest friendships should be with other followers of Jesus. I'm going to let that one sink in for a minute. My closest friendships should be with other followers of Jesus. Pastor Vance, are you saying that I shouldn't have friends with people that don't, or I shouldn't be friends with people that don't know Jesus? No, that's not what I'm saying. 
Obviously, that's not true because the Great Commission demands that we be cultivating relationships with people that do not know God so that God can use our relationships with unbelievers to authenticate the gospel and lead them to a biblical understanding of who he is and to salvation. So absolutely, we should have friendships with people that do not know God, but we should be careful that those who have the greatest influence in our lives share our passion for Christ and his kingdom. Let me show you the verse. Look at, look at that statement again up there. and Look at the verse underneath it. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Look what it says. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. Now, this is a verse that's often used in the context of marriage, and it does apply there, but the context with which he gave it to us in 2 Corinthians 6 really wasn't marriage. It's talking just about relationships in general. Do not be bound together. And that word bound together is basically the same Greek construction for that phrase in 1 Samuel where their souls were knit together, where David and Jonathan had this depth of relationship. The same principle here. He says, don't be bound together with unbelievers. Why? For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness? Here's what he says. It makes no sense for you and I to allow the people that are going to have the most influence in our lives to have a completely different worldview, a completely different perspective, a completely different purpose for their lives. The people that are going to have that kind of depth of influence in our lives should always be followers of Jesus. There are friends, and then there are friends. We can have all kinds of friends in our life. I'm friends with people that have totally different worldviews. I'm, I'm friends with people of totally different religious and faith backgrounds. I'm friends with them because I want to have the opportunity through that relationship to share Jesus with them. But when you're talking about that circle that is that depth of genuine biblical friendship that we're allowing to speak into our lives, it's imperative that those closest friendships should be with other Followers of Jesus. So choose them carefully and make sure that those that are closest to you are other followers of Christ. Now, with that as a foundation, let me give you four marks of genuine biblical friendship that we learn from David and Jonathan's relationship. And with each of these four, I want you to ask two questions. Here's question number one Am I this kind of friend? Let's start there, right? Before we start holding this list up to our friends, let's start in the mirror. Am I this kind of friend? And then the second question is obviously about your friends. Do I have this kind of friends in my life? As I evaluate the close interpersonal relationships, those that I'm allowing, those that I would call those 2 a.m. friends, You say, what's a 2 a.m. friend? That's the person you can call at 2 o'clock in the morning and you know they're going to answer and they're going to be there. That's the kind of friendship that we're talking about here that David and Jonathan had. When you hear these characteristics, I want you to evaluate your own life. Am I this kind of friend and are these the kinds of people that I'm allowing to speak into my life? So here's mark number one. Love. Love. Genuine, biblical Friendship is defined by love. 
The Bible opens in verse 1 of chapter 18, and it says, Jonathan loved David as himself. He loved him. The word love here is a word that means to have great affection or care towards someone. It's the same word that that, that Jonathan was trying to live out that the, the law gave us in Leviticus 19. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This idea of loving one another is repeated 21 different times in the New Testament describing how you and I are to relate to each other. Let me give you an example. John 13, 34. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Genuine biblical friendship is rooted in love for each other. Now, even beginning with that word, we've let our culture influence and shape our understanding of the word love. The word love now often means things that the word love was never necessarily intended to mean. We've taken the word love and our culture has cheapened it into nothing more than an emotional feeling or a physical expression that comes and goes. But that is not the kind of love that the Bible is talking about here between David and Jonathan. It's not the kind of love when Jesus said that you and I are to love one another. It's not a cheap emotional feeling that I wake up with one day and then lose the next. It's not some physical affection between us. That's not what he's describing here. He's talking about something that is infinitely greater than that. And that's why in that verse in John 13, Jesus set the standard. He said, Even as I have loved you. That's the way we're to love one another. Now, him telling us to love one another is a high enough standard. But when he added that phrase, it took it to another stratosphere, right? You're to love one another even as I have loved you. What does love look like in a friendship when it's rooted in the love of God, the love of Jesus for us. Well, think about some of the ways he loves us. He loves us, for example, unconditionally. You know what that means? That means that Jesus will never stop loving you no matter what. That's a good place to say amen. Uh, Anybody perfect this week? You know what we know today? His love for you is not based on your performance of the past week. He loves you unconditionally. It doesn't change with how I act or how I relate or what I do. Unconditional love doesn't abandon the friendship when you get your feelings hurt. Unconditional love doesn't break the fellowship when your friend's behavior doesn't meet your expectations. Unconditional love just loves. Am I the type of friend that just loves? Unconditionally, Jesus also loved us sacrificially. He gave his life for us. The core message of the gospel is rooted in the sacrificial love of God. Let me show you a verse out of Romans chapter 5. Look up on the screen. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. Let's read it out loud together. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ 
died for us. Glory be to God for his sacrificial love. He said he's going to demonstrate. The word demonstrate means to put right in front of us. God said, I'm going to show you right in front of you how much I love you. Even though you're a sinner, I'm going to give my son Jesus and Christ died for us and he rose again from the dead. The core message of the gospel is that God loved us and he sacrificed his own son so that you and I could be born again and have a relationship with God. Maybe you're here today and you've never experienced the great truth of the gospel. Here's the great truth of the gospel. God loves you. You say, no, listen, pastor, you don't know what I've done. Hey, he said, even while we were yet sinners, he loved us and he gave his son, Jesus, and Jesus died on a cross. He took all of your sin and my sin on himself. He was buried and he rose again, defeating death, hell, and the grave so that you and I could be forgiven of our sin and be given by grace a relationship with the God of heaven. That is the glorious good news of the gospel. If you've never experienced the gospel today, you can be born again into relationship with God. But here's what I want you to hear me say. He said, that's the same kind of love I want you to love one another with. Listen to it in John 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Said it again. And then here's the next verse. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Love in the context of friendship is willing to sacrifice, willing to give. Jesus loves us honestly. The Bible tells us that Jesus always spoke the truth in love. A true friend doesn't just tell me what I want to hear. A true friend will tell me what I need to hear. That's defining mark number one. Genuine biblical friendship is rooted in love. It's unconditional. It's sacrificial. It's honest. So many other characteristics we could give about it. Love. David and Jonathan had a love for each other. Second, humility. Humility. Genuine biblical friendship is characterized by humility towards one another. The defining passage on humility in the Bible is in Philippians chapter 2. Look what it says, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. That last phrase would change most friendships. Do not look out merely for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. That verse, although it had not been written when David and Jonathan lived, it could have been written describing their relationship. Other than Jesus... I don't know of another example in Scripture of greater humility than Jonathan. I'm saying, I mean that. Next to Jesus, I can't think of another example in Scripture of humility 
that's greater than what Jonathan did. As a matter of fact, Charles Swindoll, he, he writes it this way. He said, what a friend Jonathan was. No pettiness, no envy, no jealousy. After all, Jonathan, as Saul's son, might have been the heir apparent. He might have wanted the praise of the people. Yet here was this kid from the hills of Bethlehem garnering all of it. Get this picture. Here's Jonathan, the son to the king, the rightful heir to the throne of Israel, the one who should become king when his father dies. And Samuel shows up and he anoints somebody else, somebody named David. And David is put in the place that should have been Jonathan. Jonathan is out there defeating armies. He's defeating the Philistines. And yet everybody's praising David. As you read on down in chapter 18, the Bible tells us in verse 16, all Israel and Judah love David. Think about it. Here's Jonathan. All the light should be shining on Jonathan. The seat should be Jonathan's. The power should be Jonathan's. The praise should be Jonathan's. And it's not like Jonathan did something to disqualify himself. All he did was go out and be the best general that the nation of Israel had. And yet the Bible says, everybody loved David. And listen what it said Jonathan did in verse 4. He stripped himself of the robe that was on him. That was very significant. You see, the robe that was on him would have been the royal robe. It was the robe that represented the royal family. It was the robe that identified him as the next king of Israel. And the Bible says Jonathan took it off himself. The Bible says that he gave it to David with his armor, which was a sign of his authority as king and his sword and his bow and his belt. Every, all of the vestiges of kingship, Jonathan took it all off and he handed it to David. You see, his friendship with David was not rooted in what David could do for him. It was grounded in what he could do for David. What is that? It's humility. Not looking out for your own interests. But also for the interests of others. Does that characterize the way that you relate? I love what C.S. Lewis said about humility. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Jonathan epitomized that. He could have fought it. But instead of fighting it, he became David's best friend. He not only became David's best friend, he became the one that encouraged David all the way through the transition of him becoming king. He stood beside David and he did everything to celebrate David as king. Humility. I'll give you a third mark. Loyalty. 
loyalty. If you look up the word loyal in the dictionary, here's the way it's defined. Having or showing complete or constant support for someone. Loyalty. Showing complete support. Turn over to chapter 19 of 1 Samuel. Look at the first six verses. Chapter 19. Now Saul told Jonathan. Now Saul knew. Hey, David and Jonathan, they're tight. But he brings in Jonathan. Hey, hey, Jonathan. He said to his son and all the servants, put David to death. You know what that was? That was an easy out for Jonathan. He could have got back everything he lost. But Jonathan, Saul's son, greatly delighted in David. So Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, is seeking to put you to death. Now, therefore, please be on guard in the morning and stay in a secret place and hide yourself. I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak with my father about you. If, any, if I find out anything, then I will tell you. Look at verse 4. Then Jonathan spoke well of David. To Saul, his father, and said to him, Do not let the king sin against the servant, his servant David, since he has not sinned against you, and since his deeds have been very beneficial to you. For he took his life in his hand and struck the Philistine. And the Lord brought a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by putting David to death without a cause? You see, genuine biblical friends stand with you regardless of how difficult the circumstances in your life become. You've heard the saying, fair weather friend. (laughs) Jonathan was no fair weather friend. The heat had been turned up. The circumstances had become difficult. It was now costing Jonathan to be a friend to David. And yet the Bible says he was loyal. And he wasn't just loyal in his heart. The Bible says he greatly delighted in him. His heart was there. Let me tell you what else he was loyal. He was loyal with his mouth. I like friends like that. Amen? I like some friends that are loyal in their heart, but give me some that are also loyal in their mouth. When it was time to speak up, Jonathan spoke up. And the Bible says he spoke well of David. It's a word that means pleasing, valuable, right, or useful. Jonathan was loyal to David. One more characteristic I want to give you. Sharpening. A mark of genuine biblical friendship. Love, humility, loyalty, sharpening. What do you mean by that? Well, Proverbs 27 verse 17 says this. It says, iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. It's the analogy of taking iron weaponry or iron tools. And the way that they would sharpen them is they would bang them together. And as they bang together those iron tools, those iron weapons, here's what happened. Each of the, each of the weapons or each of the tools were sharpened and they became more useful for the task. Whatever the task was, if it was working in the field, if it was constructing something, if it was fighting a battle, as those two things rubbed against each other, they became more useful for whatever the task was they'd been set aside to be used for. Here's the principle. 
God desires to use our friendships to sharpen us so that we become more useful for his glory. Real, genuine, biblical friendships sharpen you in your walk with God. Turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 23 as we continue the story of David and Jonathan. 1 Samuel 23, look at verse 15. It says, Now David became aware that Saul had come out to seek his life. While David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish, and Jonathan... Saul's son arose and went to David at Horish and encouraged him in God. Thus he said to him, do not be afraid because the hand of Saul, my father, will not find you and you will be king over Israel and I will be next to you. What a statement. David, you're going to have the seat that should have been mine. And I'm going to be right there supporting you the whole way. And Saul, my father, knows that also. Verse 18. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. And David stayed at Horish while Jonathan went to his house. Their relationship sharpened each other. Let me give you a couple of examples. There's many, many, many things we could say about this, but let me give you two examples specifically from their relationship of how they sharpened each other. You can sharpen another friend by, first of all, encouraging them. Encouraging one another. The Bible says that Jonathan encouraged him in God. It's an interesting Hebrew construction. That that, that word encouraged is a word that literally means to make strong. That's why some translations say that Jonathan strengthened his hand in the Lord. He came alongside him and he breathed life. He encouraged him. How do we encourage one another as brothers and sisters in Christ? How do we encourage one another as friends in a way that sharpens us? Well, I want to give you some examples, a couple of them right out of these verses. Number one, we do it with the promises of God. You know what Jonathan did? Here was David. David had heard Saul was out to get him. David's a little bit shaken by that. David thinks, man, this may not turn out good. The circumstances, I know I've been anointed, but the circumstances don't look good. I'm on the top. I'm number one on the most wanted list in the nation of Israel. The king is sending everybody out to execute me. And Jonathan shows up and he says, David, do you not remember what God said? God said, you're going to be king. So let me tell you what that means, David. You're going to be king. Because God said it. You can trust in the promises of God. Sometimes as a friend, you need to speak into a brother or a sister's life, that close friend. You need to speak to them the promises of God and remind them that God is who he said he is. And God will do what he said he was going to do. This Friday, I got a call from a friend. He's walking through a difficult situation in his life. And he was really discouraged. And I'm just listening on the phone, 15, 20 minutes. I'm not talking. I'm just listening to him as he's just pouring out this situation on the phone. And while he's talking, in my spirit, I'm saying, Lord, where's a promise from your word? And God led me to a promise that I could. And when he finished pouring it all out, I said, man, listen, I want you to know I'm with you. We are standing with you as you walk through this. But let me remind you what God's word says. And I read him this promise from God. And I can't explain what happened on the phone, but, but he stopped right on the phone. He said, Vance, for weeks, 
I have just been discouraged. And I'm not a person that gets discouraged, but for weeks I've just been discouraged and I've been down and this has been eating me alive. And he said, just hearing that promise for the first time in weeks, I'm encouraged that God is going to use this for his glory. As a friend, you can speak into somebody else's life the promises of God. And those promises can bring encouragement. Another thing you can do to encourage is you can just be present. You can just be there. The Bible says, David, Jonathan said to him, hey, you will be king and I'll be next to you. David, you're not going to go through this by yourself. I'm with you. I've been in some difficult spots in my life, and I know some of you have too. And you know what's funny about that? I, I don't remember much of what people said to me during those difficult times. But you know what I'll never forget? Who was there? I don't often remember what they said. But then you go back and you trace through the most difficult circumstances and moments and darkest valleys of your life. Let me tell you what you'll never forget. You may never remember what they said, but you'll never forget who was there. Jonathan said to David, David, it's going to get tough, but you're going to be king. That's what God said. And no matter what you go through to get there, when you get there, I'm still going to be right here beside you. Third way that we can encourage, it's not necessarily found in these verses, but we learn it from the New Testament, is we can pray. You can encourage your friend by speaking the promises of God. You can encourage your friend by your presence, just being with them. And you can encourage your friend by praying for them. Paul wrote it in Ephesians. He said, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Those verses were given to us in the context of spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6 is about spiritual warfare and the battles that we face in life. And Paul says, man, here's one of the ways that you can stand with others. You can pray for them. Genuine biblical friends encourage one another by speaking the promises of God. They encourage one another by being present on difficult days. And they encourage one another by praying for each other. Let me give you a second way that we can sharpen. Well, not just by encouragement, but we can do it also by accountability. Accountability. Genuine biblical friends hold one another accountable in their walk with God. You say, where do you see that in these verses? Well, look at verse 18 again of chapter 23. It says, so the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. What does that mean? They made a covenant. It's not a word that we use a lot in our culture, that we make a covenant with somebody else. It was a much more common expression in Old Testament times, a covenant with each other. The word covenant is a word that simply means an agreement, an alliance. Well, what was this agreement about? Well, what he just said in verse 17 is, hey, we've heard God speak. We've heard God speak about this issue of you being king. And so what they did is they said, we're going to agree together to walk together to see all that God has spoken carried out in our life. God had spoken, David, you're going to be king. 
Jonathan reminded David, David, you're going to be king. It's what God said. And so they made a covenant together. They agreed together. We're in this together. And we're going to walk together in such a way that everything God has spoken about our lives is going to happen because we're going to walk together and make sure that it happens. What, what would we call that today? Here's what we'd call that today. Accountability. There's some things that God's word has said about each of us and the lives that we're to live and the way that we're to carry ourselves. And here's what genuine biblical friends do. They come together and say, you know what? You're not going to deal with this on your own. I'm going to help hold you accountable. You're going to help hold me accountable. And we're going to walk together so that we can see together that everything God has said about us in his word is going to come to fruition because we're going to do this together. Let me show it to you the way the writer of Ecclesiastes writes it. Listen to this. Two are better than one. Because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But get this. Woe. Woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Woe to the one who falls when there's not a genuine biblical friend. To lift him up. Have some people like this. I told you in my life. They're genuine biblical friends. And we've agreed together. If we lived in David and Jonathan's day. We'd probably say we've made a covenant together. We've agreed together. To hold each other accountable. To some areas in our life. Where God has clearly spoken. For example. We hold each other accountable. In our walk with Jesus personally. We ask each other some questions. Hey, tell me about your time alone with God daily. What's God teaching you? What's God speaking into your life? What's the Lord been showing you in your time alone with Him? Are we asking those questions of each other to make sure they're being a good Christian and reading their Bible every day? No. We're walking with each other to guard one another's intimacy with God. To hold each other accountable in our walk with God personally. Another area that I've asked for accountability is in my primary responsibility from Jesus, which is my family. I've asked a couple of men that hold me accountable. They ask me questions about my relationship with my wife and my relationship with my children and how I'm spending time in those areas. Why? Because God has spoken in his word about my primary responsibility. And I know that on my own, I can fail. So I've brought some people in with me to walk with me and hold me accountable as a husband and a father. So that when I do stumble, somebody's there to lift me up. Another area where I've asked for some accountability is in my witness for Jesus, the mission. Am I sharing in God's mission locally and globally? I, we, I have some accountability in my life about how I'm engaging in God's mission. Why, why would I do that? You're the pastor of the church. Why do you need it? Because woe to the one who when he falls, there's not another to lift him up. Every one of us needs genuine biblical friends. And one of the things genuine biblical friends do is they sharpen each other. And one of the ways we do that is by accountability with one another. So let's go back where we started. Am I this kind of friend? 
Am I loving? Unconditional, sacrificial, honest? Am I humble? Am I in that relationship for what's in it for me or what's in it for them? Am I loyal? Not just with my heart, but with my mouth? Is my relationship with them sharpening them in their walk with God? Am I that kind of friend? And then are the people that I'm allowing closest into my life, is that the kind of friends that they are? Well, here's the lesson. Genuine biblical friendship greatly blesses and impacts our life.